Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Welcome to America, the land of junk sleep, where it's bedtime, but you're double booked. Here, there's always one more deadline to meet, episode to watch, or meme to share. The world may not want you to sleep, but we do. Only the sleep experts at Mattress Firm can help you find the right bed at the right price. Unjunk your sleep, in-store or online at mattressfirm.com today. Broncos have dropped six straight games, the worst losing streak since 1990. To add insult to injury, the front office is saying unflattering things in the media, and the Broncos have fired a coordinator. We're going to break it all down. You are listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Welcome to the Huddle Up Podcast, your go-to show for all things Broncos. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up podcast presented by Mile High Huddle. Let's all take a deep breath, take a step back from the ledge. The sky, although it might feel like or seem like it's falling, everything's going to be okay. It's just not going to be in 2017. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, Scout Media, CBS Sports Digital. With me is Will Keys, as always, editor and writer at Mile High Huddle. Will, this team, so far off the rails, I don't even know where to start. Yeah, so here's an analogy for you. I've been watching a lot of The Simpsons recently, uh, just to cope with you know Broncos-related depression and whatnot. But um, so there's an episode. There's a, one of the Treehouse of Horror episodes where um, Bart is in the school bus and he's paranoid because he thinks the school bus is going to crash. Mm-hmm. It's like a parody of that that Twilight Zone episode with William Shatner. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he tells Otto, the bus driver, that there's a gremlin on the side of the bus. And, and of course, he's <laughs> there's actually uh, Hans Molman driving uh, an AMC gremlin next to it. And, and Otto, the bus driver, just kind of like nudges the car off the side of the road. And Hans Molman just gets pushed like right off the road into a ditch and then just taps a tree gently and completely explodes. And so I think the the school bus right now is the rest of the NFL and the Broncos are Hans Molman. So not looking good. If you if you know the Simpsons, you'll you'll understand that. We're definitely living in some kind of twilight zone, you know, some kind of upside down inverted universe, football universe if you will. Yes. Where this once proud franchise is literally scraping the bottom of the barrel and we're going to we're going to get into it. Uh, But first, please understand, Huddle Up is here to give you a deep dive on your favorite team, the Denver Broncos, whether they're winning or losing. And we need your help. Take some time if you haven't done it, whether it's iTunes or Stitcher. Make sure you go rate the show, leave a creative review. It really helps us to uh, reach new listeners and grow. Also, make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod, and at MileHighHuddle, also on Facebook. You want to make sure you're following Mile High Huddle because... We're doing a couple of Facebook Lives each and every week, myself and Nick Kendall. Nick does one right after each game, and I do one usually in the middle of the week, and you don't want to miss those because, you know what, the season might be off the rails. We're going to break this whole thing down, but there's still so much to analyze, figure out where the Broncos can go from here. Make sure you're subscribing because you're not going to want to miss a single episode. Now, obviously, we have a lot to get to today, but first, we want to say thank you to our sponsor, Rep the Squad and draw your attention to one of the coolest services out there for Broncos fans. Rep the Squad is a jersey subscription club that lets you rep every jersey you want. With hundreds of jerseys, Rep the Squad lets you switch between your favorite stars and styles whenever you like. Adult memberships are $19.95 per month, and youth are $16.95. New jerseys arrive 
fresh and clean within two to three days. It's like Netflix for jerseys. Rep the Squad allows you to rep the Orange Crush all season long, no matter if it's a home jersey, away, or an alternate. Free shipping both ways. Cancel any time, but use promotion code HUDDLE, that's H-U-D-D-L-E, to get 50% off your first month at RepTheSquad.com. That's promo code HUDDLE at RepTheSquad.com. All right, well, let's get into this thing. Cincinnati Bengals, 20, Denver Broncos, 17. And before we really kind of jump into the nuts and bolts of this game, I want to back up a second and go back to each and every week, John Elway, the GM, does a little, uh, I can't remember what the segment's called, with Broncos TV where Elway's something or other, where he basically, you know, they sit down, they ask him a few questions, and he shares his insight uh, of what's going on that week with the Denver Broncos. And, of course, the last several weeks, all he's had to do really is field these terrible questions about his his terrible team. And this past week, he actually talked about, it was kind of interesting, knowing how competitive John Elway is. You know, he's basically said, paraphrasing him, as bad as losing is, what really has frustrated him is that the Broncos have not been competitive. They've been getting blown out. You know, they're not, they haven't been in a position in the fourth quarter to affect the course of the game. And, of course, hoping that this time around, week 11 against the Bengals, that would change, that there would be a competitive edge in the fourth quarter. And the Broncos at least got that this week. And I, I tweeted about this during the game while you were rocking the Mile High Huddle Twitter. I tweeted this from my personal account that, you know, basically my how – how the mighty have fallen. We're sitting here going into the fourth quarter. I made some tweet about at least the Broncos are competitive in the fourth quarter. It's like, this is what we're, I'm celebrating the fact that the Broncos are at least competitive in the fourth quarter. It's just, that's where we're at with this Broncos team. But again, I mean, they, they, they had a chance, uh, but unfortunately they did pretty much everything wrong in the clutch. Uh, You go back, you look at this, this team uh, in the box score, the Broncos outgained the Bengals, 341 yards to 190 uh, total yards by the Bengals. But really what it comes down to, Will, if you boil it down, more critical errors in the fact that the Broncos lost the turnover battle once again, giving it away twice. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a little bit of Stockholm syndrome on the part of me and the Broncos right now. Um, Just thinking that, wow, this is kind of exciting that every play in the fourth quarter here matters up till about – a minute left when they when they miss on that fourth and four pass to Emmanuel Sanders, but yep. it, it's it speaks obviously um, as to to how poorly that they've been just in general and especially uh, in the last couple of weeks. Really, um, the Chiefs game was more competitive than I think you and I both thought it would be, mm-hmm. but um, the Eagles game obviously was an abject disaster, uh, and the Patriots game was. And this is probably just me not quite speaking for you, but I thought it was going to be pretty much a train wreck, and it ended up being uh, pretty much a train wreck. So yep. Yep. Uh, I expected them to win so um, just because uh, historically they play well against the Bengals. Uh, this is only the second time I think they've lost to Cincinnati since, like, I want to say, like 2004 or 2005. Yeah, it's so. been 10 years. Yeah. Um, it, it's be been a lot. than that, actually. Well, yeah. years. In no, Denver, at home, Denver. yeah. You're right, you're right, you're right. Right. It, yeah, it was, I think, since the, the 70s, they did a little mm. uh, little flashback to that. I think <laughs> Riley Odoms, the tight end, caught a touchdown the last time the, the Bengals beat the Broncos in, in mile high. So yep. uh, anytime that you're, like, flashing back to uh, various decades for, for which you and I may or may not have uh, been alive <laughs> for, right? Uh, you know things are bad, so... Um, not a lot good to say right now. You know, it's crazy, too, because I don't know if you felt this way, but even in the fourth quarter, when the Broncos late managed to get the ball back, you know, around two minutes, no timeouts left, of course. They had to use them all to stop the Bengals there. After yeah. Bradley Roby gave up that egregious pass interference call. That uh, Anyway, that, we'll talk more about that here in just a minute. But when the Broncos got the ball back, there was like, for me, there was no, and maybe this is me reading into, reading my own, you know, psychosis or pathology into what I was seeing on the field. I didn't think the Broncos had any chance to drive and even get a field goal. And it felt to me, you'll have to tell me if you agree on this, uh-huh. reading the body language of the players, the offensive guys on the field, 
It didn't feel like any of those dudes believed that they could get it done and drive the ball down, at least get into field goal range, and send this thing to overtime. Yeah, no, I, I have to agree. I was a little more encouraged after that touchdown to Demarius Thomas with about five minutes left. I think that was like the most excited I've been during a game since uh, probably since before the Giants game, mm-hmm. which going back that far, it'd have to be the beginning of October. So yep. um, just <laughs> pretty depressing uh, when you think about it like that. But, um, you know, I didn't have a lot of confidence and maybe that's just because it's Brock Osweiler and it's the Broncos offensive line. And really, the, most of the success that came on offense came off of the fact that the Broncos could run the ball a little bit, and they're getting a little bit of success. And once, I mean, because Osweiler did pretty well on that on that second to last drive. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of it came down to him finding Devontae Booker and, and doing a good job of really reading his outlet quickly. And, and the Bengals were kind of just playing soft defense and, and allowing guys like Booker and then Austin trailer to kind of just pick up these short gains mm-hmm. and, and they kind of just walked them down the field, let, let them score to some extent. And then once they knew that, all right, he's got to drop back and, and read the field and throw down field and beat us quickly. And they're playing tight coverage and they're not giving up these, these quick catch and runs. Well, then he takes that gnarly sack on second down. I mean, come on, dude. I understand protection did not hold up. You know, protection didn't hold up, but you cannot take a loss right there. You got to just uncork it and find a way to live to fight on the next down because it just took the Broncos out of – I mean, that's when you really knew. I mean, before the Broncos even took the field on that final possession, as I say – you know, my in my bones, I felt like the, there wasn't a chance. But that's when you really knew that there was going to be no miraculous comeback here. The Broncos were losing this game. In fact, we should talk more about Osweiler because you go back to the first quarter and things are shaping up. The Broncos are in the red zone. They're basically on the goal line. And Osweiler throws that pick. Now, you look at it from some of the coaches' angles film they showed. Not necessarily coaches' angles, but more of a, a sky view of the field. And you can see why he threw that ball that – who was it? I think Fowler might have been Latimer. Whoever it was got picked by yeah, the defenders. And, and you could tell, obviously, that was a play Osweiler pre-snap. You knew that's where he was going. That was probably the hot read and all that. But he had Virgil Green wide open over the middle if he uncorks that ball at the bottom of his drop. And instead, he doesn't see – you know, he's throwing the ball basically – as the defenders are colliding with the target. And it's just one of those comedy of errors that it's like, here we go again. It's like John Elway even talked about earlier this week, the whole here we go again thing. Something goes wrong, and the Broncos get that collective here we go again, roll the eyes, roll the shoulders, aw shucks, here we go again. Fortunately, this time, though, the Broncos found a way to fight back and keep this game within striking distance, but Brock Osweiler, we'll talk more about the quarterback position, where it goes from here a little bit later in the show. But Brock Osweiler, he got his three opportunities to basically, you know, audition for any hope that he could be some kind of long-term answer for the Broncos. 0-3 as a starter in his second stint, it's it's not looking good. And I think, honestly, after that first interception, after all of the problems the Broncos have had with ball security leading up to this game, the, the coaches should have sent a message right there and pulled him and put Paxton Lynch in the game because it, at some point there has to be accountability for these lapses and for the critical errors and for the turnovers. And, I mean, we knew right there. Again, that was another situation. We might have had our hopes up, but that was just another situation where we knew the course that this, this team is on isn't going to change in Week 11. So you might as well rip the Band-Aid off, send a message to the team, uh, et cetera. Yeah, no, I I actually disagree there Um, just because I think if you're going to put your quarterback on that short of a leash where if he makes one, you know, bad throw and obviously that was an egregious turnover just because it ended up being a 13 point swing when you look at it, Um, especially after that block punt, too. That was a that was a real big blow to momentum. But but if you're going to have your quarterback on that short of a leash, why would you start him in the first place? Why wouldn't you just play the guy who you're obviously waiting to go to? Well, I think because at that point, again, it's about sending a message. The the Broncos are eventually going to have to go, not eventually, very soon now, to Paxton Lynch. And 
it's I mean the offense has improved. I've talked about it in multiple on the on the show. I've talked about it on the blog. The Broncos' offense has improved incrementally since Osweiler took over, but the problem is the critical errors and the turnovers haven't stopped, and he's the impetus. I mean, the buck stopped uh, with the quarterback, and again, for me, it's a certain point where guys have to understand that they literally have a job to lose. You know, if you're whether you're starting or if you're just a role player, but if you're seeing the field, you have a job to lose. There's someone waiting to take your spot. There has to be accountability for this stuff. And where the, the, the and, you know, you could argue that this is the last stand of the Broncos. This was their last chance to turn the season around. And I get yeah. that with the, with the Broncos being invested and not wanting then to turn the ball over to the young guy, Paxton Lynch. But for me, I mean, these guys are there every day. They're seeing how it's going, Will. And they have to know that, you know, it's not going to change. Osweiler is what he is. With the offense being as, uh, the way it is with him leading, it's not going to change. Time to rip the Band-Aid off and see if you get a spark. I hate using that word again, but see what kind of change can come from the offense going to Paxton Lynch. And again, really it comes down to sending a message to everybody else that we're, we can't put up with this anymore. This is professional football. Well, I don't think you're if you're putting in Paxton Lynch, and I, and I think they should and I think they will, but... I don't think you're putting him in really to to spark any change right now. I think you're just doing it just because obviously you're not going anywhere this season. Um, this guy's a first round pick. You know, it's all, all the points right. that we've talked about for what feels like 10 years now. But that's fair. You know, uh, at some point, like you're just putting him in to see what he does and kind of, you know, do some, you know, test your test your theories out here. Like see if he's see what you worth have keeping around. Yeah. Yeah, do a little scientific process and see, well, if we put Paxton Lynch in, you know, maybe the offense will look like this. See if he gets better in in these areas and, you know, see if he uh, is a long-term solution. So I think obviously six games isn't enough to judge that. But um, I think given, you know, the history with Paxton Lynch and how the last two years have gone, it'll just be good to see him uh, on the field for a long stretch of time just so he can either, you know, put it to – put it to rest one way or another you know because it's i don't think it's a good thing uh just in the locker room or for an organization in general to to have so much uncertainty from week to week at the quarterback position it it wears on you it wears on the fans i think it it wears on everybody who's being asked these questions uh in the media every day i don't think you know vance joseph wants to go out there and, and be asked you know, after every game, basically, are you making a switch at the quarterback position? Uh, at a certain point, you just want to, you know, you want to talk about football, and well, and unfortunately, it's hard to do that. They they made their bed in that regard. I mean, no, I agree. Yeah, th- th- this is the situation that they painted themselves into. They're they're in their own corner, and you're right in that Paxton Lynch. You know, inserting Paxton Lynch is more about seeing what you have for the future rather than necessarily looking for a spark. But again, for me, it comes back to same with C.J. Anderson's fumble in the fourth quarter, which is a clutch situation. That guy shouldn't see the field again. I haven't, you know, I should go back and look. I, I couldn't tell you for sure if he did see the field after that. But you know what? When guys are turning the ball over, it's become an epidemic. I mean, this, these aren't just your occasional situations and lapses where you know you you shake your head and go, oh, you know, these are gonna ha- these type of things are gonna happen. I mean, it's become a systematic issue. And they have to have some kind of accountability. And even if it, the quarterback position, obviously the most important, uh, the, the most key, it has the, the biggest ramifications. And I get that. I mean, we're going to talk about the Mike McCoy thing here in just a minute. But at a certain point, you know, when are guys going to be held accountable for their performance? I mean, we all go to our jobs each and every day. You know what? If I don't do my job in terms of producing these podcasts and and cranking out the type of content at Mile High Huddle that needs to be produced and that the network expects from me and my bosses and my masters, I'm not going to have my job. If I'm constantly failing to execute my responsibilities, I'm not going to have a job. And again, if this was just the type of situation, Will, where it's, you know, a couple of games and all of a sudden this happens against the Bengals, I could understand that. But where, again, it's been spread out over now, this was the sixth game in a row where the turnovers just kept coming and again, and also just in terrible, critical clutch situations, rip yeah. that bandaid off, send a message to the rest of the team that we're not doing this anymore. Where you're playing for your jobs, you're playing for your career in the NFL. Well, I think that's hard to do with a guy like C.J. Anderson. Um, and just as a little tangent, 
uh, for the running back situation. And I'll get back to Anderson, but Jamal Charles only had, I think, like a, a couple snaps in total. It was mostly Devontae Booker and C.J. Anderson today, and then especially Booker down the stretch. But if you're really not going to make Jamal Charles a big part of the game plan, why wouldn't you just activate D'Angelo Henderson and, and you know, see what he has and kind of start the youth movement a little bit earlier. But yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's something that they'll do now that the season is pretty season much uh, yeah. Yeah, wrapped it up. Is. I mean, put, 90, a, put a boat on. Yeah. Uh, I was uh, listening to Sandy Clough very briefly after the game uh, while I was getting some stuff set up to track this episode. And I can't remember the time frame in which this stat holds holds up, but – 93 teams he looked at the nice I think it was the last 93 teams who started three and seven not one of them in the NFL made the playoffs so yeah this season is over yeah that does not surprise me but um, going back to CJ Anderson I think he's just such like a and and sure he fumbled and people like even the best players are going to make mistakes like Demarius Thomas dropped pass early that was you know right in the bread basket and he he came around and uh, ended up really playing well at the end of that game. But CJ Anderson in particular is such a, you know, well-liked and well-respected uh, guy on the team and in the locker room and in the media and he's never been a guy uh, where you you're going to question his effort at all. Definitely. I think I agree. Um, the lasting yeah, the the things you think about with CJ Anderson are like that Colts play um, on fourth down where he shook off like three defenders and and kept that game alive somehow. He had one today on the fourth down. He did. He did. He he, he uh, he had a great run there and looked like it was going to go for a loss and, and save the day. Uh, but there's that, and, and he's a Super Bowl hero. He was really a, a big part of the Broncos' playoff run back in 2015. He's just become such a you know pillar of the, of the locker room, I think, that it, it would be detrimental to sit a guy like that. And, and maybe they did, actually, because I, I don't remember yeah, seeing him very back, much in the fourth quarter. It but. seems like it was all Booker from there, so... Maybe yeah. they, maybe maybe we're uh, arguing a moot point. Yeah, but um, I think if that's a younger player who really hasn't earned his keep in the NFL, I think you can send a message there. But I don't know with a, a guy like C.J. Anderson who who rarely fumbles. I think you know mistakes are going to be made, and you kind of just have to say he's our yeah. best running back, and let's let's just keep on trucking and and play him some more. Well, let's uh, let's talk about some of the more macro issues plaguing this team. Over the weekend, the Broncos held a banquet to celebrate Hall of Famer Terrell Davis and Ring of Famer Red Miller. Of course, Red Miller being a posthumous uh, honoring of him going into the Ring of Fame. He just passed away recently. But during the gala, GM John Elway took time to speak with the media, and it didn't take long for reporters to get past the nostalgic elements of the event to ask Denver's front office czar about the current state of his team, at which point he threw everyone under the bus. He said, quote, I think we got a little bit soft, to be dead honest with you. We got a little bit soft. We went 4-0 and in the preseason. We started out 3-1. and We get a bye week, and if you exhale in this league, you're in trouble. To be dead honest with you, I think we exhaled, and it's hard to recover from that. It'll be a lesson that hopefully we all learn and prevent from happening in the future. Close quote. Now, whether it's true or not, and we could debate the veracity of it, it's not something a GM should be saying publicly about his team. If that's what you think, and, and it's, a, it's a lightning rod, it's something that is a point of emphasis that needs to uh, be addressed, it needs to be said to the team behind closed doors. Because what happens? Guys took offense to it, coaches and players. You know, on one hand, they're going to talk about how you know, they're not soft, but then they have to also say so not so as not to offend their, their boss that, yeah, maybe we have been soft, but it's still, it's humiliating. And it's just, you know, in the Broncos, the more pieces to the puzzle, they waive their third leading receiver in tight end A.J. Derby leading up to the Week 11 bout with Cincinnati. And it was kind of convenient because on one hand, you know, you had A.J. Derby who was who was injured. He was already ruled out for this game. The team felt like he was probably going to miss somewhere between two to four weeks. Instead of putting him on IR, keeping him in, in uh, the organization, they chose to instead open up his roster spot by also sending a message to the team that you better play hard, you better play physical, or you're going to play elsewhere. Because A.J. Derby, third leading receiver on the team again, when he was on the field, it was a clear tell to the opposing defense 
that the Broncos were going to throw the ball because he was an absolutely unwilling uh, blocker. And maybe that's due to his, you know, his past as a collegiate quarterback at Arkansas. I'm not sure. But he wasn't much of a blocker. And as John always said, talking about being soft, he wants guys who are going to play hard, play physical. So Derby sent a message to the locker room. Then word leaks to Ian Rappaport that the Broncos are, quote, frustrated with offensive coordinator Mike McCoy. You know, the talk that his playbook is too complex, things aren't working out, the turnovers, mainly it was all about the playbook being too complex and not friendly to the quarterbacks. And of course, if it's a leak like that, it's it's not coming from Vance Joseph. It's coming from the Broncos' front office, a.k.a. John Elway. Now, all of this came uh, before a totally embattled Broncos team on a losing streak even took the field against Cincinnati. You want to talk about distractions, right? And then following Denver's loss, we finally get an opportunity to hear Coach Vance Joseph not only share his thoughts about the game, but also taking brutal question after brutal question uh, about Elway's indictment on the team. Rather than read the quote, here's what Coach Joseph said in response to how he felt about Elway's soft comments. Well, you know, when you've lost five games in a row, you know, and, you know, John watched this team every day. He watches every meeting. He watches every practice. He watches every game. So, you know, when he said that, um, you know, I wasn't, uh, I was initially offended. But, um, you know, in, in some aspects, he's right. You know, and when you've lost that many games in a row, you have to do things in a tougher manner. You know, and if you're not winning, that's, that's an issue in football. Football is a physical, tough sport. You know, so when you're not winning, that, that word comes up. So, so again, you know, I sat back and I thought about what he said. Um, and in some aspects, he's right. All right, Will. So the losses are bad enough, but the infighting, the excuse making, the finger pointing have now inexplicably rolled uphill from the locker room to the front office. And it's just a bad look for a proud franchise like the Denver Broncos. I mean, this season isn't going well, but this is still a storied and proud franchise. And this just does not reflect well on the organization. Starting with the front office, I think the Broncos have to take a hard look in the mirror. They have to honestly come to grips with just how far this team has fallen. But it would seem for now they're content with scapegoating Mike McCoy, who was, of course, fired by the team on Monday. Yeah, I mean, well, they say that winning cures everything. I think the opposite is true is that losing can just about ruin everything, too, because this is one of the most respected front offices and and really just organizations in the NFL. I think they're probably a top three organization just as far as, you know, ownership down. So it's really hard. It's hard to hear all this come out. And I hate the the culture of, you know, like anonymous sources and everything like that. And I hate people choosing to deal with these problems by leaking them to guys like Ian Rappaport and making them public issues rather than just resolving them internally. But that's what losing brings. It just brings a lot of frustration and, and guys don't know how to deal with it, especially in a place like Denver where, you know, they haven't had a losing season since 2010 and, and they have more Super Bowl trips than than losing seasons since 1983. It's, it's just not, you know, what you've come to expect. And so, um, I don't know as far as the Broncos being soft. I don't think that tells the whole story, but I kind of uh, – I don't disagree with John Elway necessarily. I, I think it was probably not wrong of him, but ill-advised to say mm-hmm. that. Right. But at the, at the same time, you know, I think people will bash um, figureheads in the media just because, you know, they're giving canned answers. And and we like it when, when people, especially like John Elway – uh, are honest and we we find it refreshing but there's a reason why you give those canned answers is because things like this happen and you don't want to throw your team under the bus and right. a good leader a good leader takes responsibility um in front of the media and you know behind closed doors that's another matter uh and you know when there's no one looking in then you can say well you guys are playing soft but you don't tell that um to the guys on the outside you tell that to the guys right. you know inside the locker room when when the doors are closed and the media uh, are are long gone. So um, I think that was probably uh, a poor way to handle things. And I, I think he probably regrets it um, yeah. now that everything's come out. Um, but I, I don't know, if, again, like I don't know if I can necessarily disagree with right. the, vera- uh, the contents of that statement. Arguing the veracity of it is, is difficult because it does yeah. seem as if the Broncos have, have lost their physical edge. And what's another way to say that? They've gotten soft. And it's not just... 
uh, their their physical play or lack thereof. Mentally, clearly, this team has gotten soft in that sense. They don't yep. believe they're going to win games anymore. And you, like we talked about earlier, you could you could sense that on the field, not necessarily from the defense. The defense was fighting tooth and nail, and if it weren't for some a, a few lapses by one Bradley Roby, Lord only knows maybe how this game would have sh- shaken out. But the offense, I mean, they special teams joined the party a little bit late in this process. The offense has been, you know, the the pariah through this entire season, and it dates back. We've talked about it many times, multiple seasons. Dates back three years, basically. Uh, three seasons anyway to 2015 and so they they just don't think they can they can win they're not mentally strong they can't uh, the belief that they can get out there and get this thing done and it it all goes back to yeah they are soft but as you said you know what that's it's ill-advised it's one thing to think this it's one thing to communicate this to your own team but to say it publicly you know, it basically means that all the infighting, the excuse making, the finger pointing, it has inexplicably rolled uphill from the locker room, jumped over the the coaching staff, and now to the front office. And it's just a bad look for a proud franchise like the Broncos. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. It's it's obviously something that uh, growing up, we thought that the Broncos were above, and this is kind of something that you'd expect from uh, the lesser organizations in the NFL, just speaking yeah. historically, right. um, the, the new reincarnation of, of the Cleveland Browns. This is something you'd expect from uh, possibly even from the Bengals um, on, on a more locker room level, maybe not from ownership or from the front office. But yeah, it, it's frustrating and, and losing will do that because two years ago, this is a team that believed that they were going to win every game. Yep. And yep. More, more often than not, they did, uh, and they got themselves a Super Bowl ring out of it. And now this is a team that kind of goes in every week, um, I think, expecting to lose. And yep. when you, I think, so much of playing in the NFL is what you expect on a weekly basis. More often than not, it comes to fruition, and, and so yep. that's just kind of the role that the Broncos have gotten themselves onto. And, and I don't think it changes this year, but. Hopefully, from a, a macro level, like you said, as an organization, hopefully they can change that outlook and and uh, adopt a new philosophy going forward. It holds true in life just as it does on the football field. I mean, you have to believe you're going to be successful at something in order to be successful at it. And even if you're not sure, you got to fake it till you make it. And it doesn't matter what endeavor you are facing. Could be going to college. Could be high school. Can be a job. Can be picking up a new hobby. Can be anything that challenges you intellectually, uh, spiritually, physically. You have to believe that you can achieve it. You have to believe you can overcome it. And the Broncos have clearly, as an organization, lost their own self belief. And now you have to add to that dumpster fire the fact that the Broncos have chosen to scapegoat offensive coordinator Mike McCoy. Now, on one hand. You know, it's easy to understand how the Broncos feel like heads need to roll at this point. They've lost six straight. Again, as we've talked about, it's the worst losing streak dating back to 1990. So I understand that they feel like some changes need to be made. Now, they felt like getting rid of Mike McCoy was the best way to take a step forward and make changes. Obviously, they feel like the offense has been the biggest issue plaguing this team. And it's, and it's no mystery why. Really, it comes down to the turnovers. Vance Joseph talked about all last week playing a clean game. If they could only find a way to play a, quote, clean game, they can win. And that's really what's been holding them back is the defense. You know, the, the previous two games, obviously, the, the the defense just, it was laps after laps after laps. I mean, they gave up 92 points in two games. But a lot of that had to do also with turnovers that would just put them, the defense, in such a hole that they could not dig themselves out. The world is always on. But you shouldn't be. Put junk sleep to bed. During Mattress Firm's sleeping spree event, save up to 50% on ceiling. With queen mattresses starting at $349.99. Only at Mattress Firm. Restrictions apply. See store or mattressfirm.com for details. 
Meanwhile, the offense would, you know, instead of scoring touchdowns, they're putting up field goals. Here's another field goal. Oh, now we're going to turn it over again. Turnover on downs, field goal, punt, turnover, and so on. So it's easy to understand how the front office and Vance Joseph felt like if a change was going to be made, and there does need to be change, there has to be, as I talked about earlier, some kind of accountability for this epic failure as an organization. I understand why the team felt like it had to be Mike McCoy. Now, McCoy, the biggest issue they talked about was the passing game. Vance Joseph on Monday talking about the fact that McCoy's passing game was not efficient, too many turnovers. Uh, we heard, as, as mentioned a few minutes ago, Elway complaining in the press about McCoy's playbook being too big, too complex, uh, and really it's just not quarterback friendly. If you have Tom Brady back there or Phillip Rivers or Peyton Manning, it's a different story. But obviously the Broncos do not have a quarterback on the roster that comes anywhere close to any of those guys' ability or wherewithal to manage an offense. So it needs to be simplified. It needs to be pared down. Um, as Vance Joseph talked about, the Broncos want to master four or five different passing concepts and then build and diversify around that. And they feel like Billy Musgrave can get that done. And Perhaps he can. I mean, he's got 11 years of experience as a play caller, as an offensive coordinator in this league, 20 years total of coaching experience in the NFL, 11 as an offensive coordinator. And we saw what Musgrave did in Oakland with Derek Carr. And we've seen how his absence has caused the Oakland Raiders as, as a unit, as an offense, to just go downhill. It's like they've forgotten, even with the addition of Marshawn Lynch, how to feature their weapons, and how to capitalize on the talent that they have. Sound familiar? That's what the Broncos have been dealing with. Now, people go, oh, well, you know, Musgrave, he's been here the whole time with McCoy. He's got to have some kind of accountability in what's going on. That's not true. His job is, you know, he might have a an idea here or, hey, here's some feedback there, but his job has been to coach the quarterbacks in Mike McCoy's system, and that is what he's done. Now he's being given an opportunity for six games as an interim offensive coordinator to prove himself to Vance Joseph and to the front office that he can be an offensive coordinator for the Denver Broncos. And really what it's going to come down to for Musgrave, and we're running out of time here on this topic, so we're going to have to move it on. We can come back to this another time. But what it really is going to come down to is – you know, the Broncos, all signs point, everything we've been told from sources, and just common sense points to the Broncos turning it over finally to Paxton Lynch with six games left to go. So what it's going to come down to for Billy Musgrave is what did you do with the opportunity to coach and coordinate an offense around Paxton Lynch? If Paxton Lynch goes out and falls flat on his face, Billy Musgrave is going to be held accountable for that. And as well, he should. He's been the quarterback's coach this whole season, and he's by this point going to be the guy calling the plays. So if he's going to have a future in Denver, Bill Musgrave that is, it's all going to be tied to, whether it's fair or not, Paxton Lynch and whether or not he can turn the corner and at least show some sign of his potential that got him drafted by the Denver Broncos in the first round. And we still have a lot to get to. Uh, but first, we want to say thank you to our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Morty, M-O-R-T-Y, the newest and smartest way to get a home mortgage. If you've ever bought a home, you know that the mortgage process can be some of the most confusing and painful hours of your life. Myself, as someone who has been through that process, I can testify. It can be a pain. But Morty makes it fast and easy. Morty not only simplifies the process, but they help you find the smartest mortgage that's right for you. Just input your information into Morty's secure website, and in less time than it takes to hear this ad, you can shop qualified rates from different lenders. With Morty, you'll get real loan options in minutes without ever being called or sold to by a mortgage broker. And by shopping loans from different lenders, you're able to pick the rate and term that best fits your needs. In addition to that, Morty can automatically generate a pre-approval letter online for you in minutes, which will help you speed up the home buying process and talk confidently to realtors and sellers. Morty wants to save you money. At Morty, there's no commission salespeople, so their experts exist solely to get you the best deal possible. If you ever get stuck or have questions, someone from Morty's team is always ready to assist you over real-time chat or on the phone. So whether you're a first-time home buyer looking to refinance 
or buying an investment property, head over to trymorty.com slash huddle to get started today. That's T-R-Y-M-O-R-T-Y, trymorty.com slash huddle. Morty Inc. is a licensed mortgage broker, equal housing lender, NMISconsumeraccess.org, number 1429243. All right, I want to make this segment, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's pretty self-explanatory, but it's been a while since we did Step Your Game Up. So, Will, who's on your list today? Could point to a lot of guys, um, but I'm going to go with Alan Barber, who's playing right tackle again. Uh, I think Carlos Dunlap has basically made a career of sacking Brock Osweiler, and he got two more today, <laughs> which was honestly fewer than I thought going in. I thought he'd have like five or six, like right. uh, like Adrian Claiborne did a week ago for the Falcons. So yeah. um, I didn't think either tackle was particularly spectacular today. So Garrett Bowles, I think, struggled a little bit. Really? Um, their penalties. I thought Bowles I was know. really good. This Like today I thought, wow, you know what? The one guy we're not hearing, you know, because with offensive linemen, if you don't hear their name called, usually means they're doing a good job. And he was the one guy we didn't really hear him in, in Paradise, and I guess Leary too. But to hear nothing from from uh, the rookie, I was I took some solace in that. Yeah, I mean Leary's pretty anonymous, which is a great thing. But I don't know. Maybe I'm just pointing to one play where uh, I think he got away with holding Carl Lawson pretty clearly, mm. um, and then another play where Lawson just beat him, and then Osweiler had to step up, I think, into a sack. But um, I don't know. Maybe I'm just projecting a couple of bad plays on the whole performance. Barber definitely sucked. I mean, yeah, he also had those two terrible holding calls as well that really set yep. the team back. Yeah, so I, I didn't put Garrett Bowles on mine, but um, in particular Barber. I know he's out, he's playing out of position, so it's hard to really say that you know he's disappointing as a right tackle when he's supposed right. to be um, <clears throat> when he's supposed to be a left guard, really. So. Uh, but if you're playing and if you're starting at your position, you, you got to produce. Gotta and yep. yeah, I, I think the offensive line overall, I think has been, it has looked better um, just because I think Brock Osweiler's a little more adept in the pocket mm-hmm. um, than Trevor Simeon was those last few weeks, especially. But uh, yeah, Barber was definitely the weak leg today. So I'm going to have to tell him to step his game up. Can't disagree there. Yep, absolutely. And it was curious to see that Cyrus Quanjo didn't even suit up today. So um, for me, I'm just going to go back to the macro point of view on this. The whole entire Denver Broncos organization, y'all need to step your game up because losing's hard enough. I mean, losing is bad enough. It's it's hard on the team. It's hard on the fans. Heck, it's even hard on the media. Don't take too much pity in us, but it's not easy trying to make sense of drama and just debacles such as these. But the organization makes it worse by leaking information about the coaching staff, by saying things publicly that they shouldn't. I mean, after the game, Vance Joseph was asked how he responded, what he said to his own team about what Elway said, calling them soft behind closed doors. You know what Vance Joseph said? He could have taken that opportunity to punch back. I mean, there's probably a good chance he feels like he's probably at a 50-50 point of keeping his job anyway. He could have punched back at Elway, but instead, he, when, they, when asked what he said to his team, Joseph took the high ground, high road, and said, you know what, that's going to remain private. What I said to my team, that's between us. Kudos to him for that. And the, yeah. I hate to say this, but the front office can take a cue from their own head coach who they're probably vilifying even now and finding ways to expose and this and that. They can take a cue from their own head coach and figure out how to, you know what, let's take the whole pressure off this season. It's over. It's all about development now. It's all about evaluation. And let's the pressure's gone now. It's the season's over. So hopefully some of this drama will pass. Well, in, in that sense, some of the leaks and the stuff coming out, hopefully that uh, will pass us by. Yeah, I mean, I really respect Vance Joseph as a leader. And obviously um, the results haven't been there in his first year. Um, and he'll have to answer to that eventually, and he'll have to improve if he wants to keep his job long-term in Denver. But I think he's done a good job of just managing personalities and trying to keep the media at bay, which is really tough, you know, for a first, first-time first head coach going to an organization that um, if you're not in the playoffs and if you're not winning playoff games even, yeah. uh, just ask John Fox, you know, you're a failure. So that's a lot of that's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of expectations on a guy who, who just jumped from defensive coordinator uh, to head coach in, in just a year. So I, I'm impressed with how he's just handled everything. Um, obviously, he's got to do a better job, and everybody's got to do a better job um, just in terms of you know actual football. 
Um, but I think it just kind of as an ambassador, you know, I, I don't think he leaves a lot to, desi- to be desired. He's done a, he's done a pretty good job in, in that facet of the job, which is a really a, a huge part of being the head coach is um, being a, you know, public relations guy. So Chad, um, I think that's enough doom and gloom for the time being. Um, pretty much everybody could step their game up, but I want to introduce a new segment called Would You Rather? Um, I think people are familiar with the game, mm-hmm. um, so not too much ex- explanation needed there, but I wanted to lighten things up um, just because we're on a six-game losing streak and <laughs> we need some things to laugh about. So Let's turn those I, frowns upside down. Yeah, let's do it. So I have some Would You Rathers uh, for you to answer. So yeah. I'm going to present them to you and you give me your honest answer. So I've got three, and the first one is would you rather take your chances as a passenger on the Titanic <laughs> or trust Isaiah McKenzie to catch a newborn child who's been thrown from the third floor of a burning building? <laughs> Ooh, well, I know. Well, you go back to the Titanic. I don't think anybody survived, or if there were, if anyone did, it was only a few people. Um, well, I guess Rose, she survived, right, from, from the movie? So. She did. Yeah. Well, I should I should um, point out, and hopefully you knew this, but the the Titanic was in fact a, a historical event, not just a movie. Right. So Let's point that out to Cam Newton as well, too. Absolutely. I don't think he knows that. But to me, the Titanic seems like a sure thing. Like if if I took booked a, a passage on the Titanic, I'm going to die. So I think in this case, well, yeah, maybe trusting Isaiah McKenzie to catch. Uh, a baby that's been tossed out the window of a burning building to save that child's life. I'm going to roll the dice. I'm going to hope for the best. I'm going to believe that Isaiah McKenzie, against all odds and empirical data, can save that baby from certain death. Okay. I I like the optimistic answer. I think, yeah. So just to give a little feedback, um, I think that's a good answer for this one, just because (laughs) as obviously we know the old – the old refrain from the Titanic was um, women and children first on the lifeboats. <laughs> and right. you you being a, a man, uh, an older man, not not an older man, but uh, an adult male. A pushing 40 think, guy. Yeah, I, I think um, people, especially in 1912, people would be like, oh, at least had a good run. Let's, you know, <laughs> let, him, <laughs> let him drown in the icy waters of the Atlantic. Right, yeah. But, a quick little tangent, though. When I was in Ireland, I went to uh, the Titanic Museum, which mm-hmm. was at um, is in Cove, Ireland, which is the last place that the Titanic ported before before it hit the, the hit the water. iceberg a few days later. Yeah, and yeah. Um, you go around, and you'd, you'd like learn stories about certain individuals that some made it and some didn't, and they give you like a card with a name mm-hmm. uh, before you went on this tour, and then at the end, you'd find out if your if your guy who they gave you um, actually survived the. Right the wreck or not and my guy actually survived um <laughs> believe it or not he survived um and then five years later he uh he died in world war one so mm, really terrible war. luck yeah he died like right right at the last leg of it too so yeah some, he, some tough luck for my guy he screwed up somewhere on the karma card he checked yeah, the wrong box yeah. yeah yeah he survived the titanic only to you know take a take a bullet in the <laughs> in the Bavarian forest a, a few years later. So that's, that's tough, but I'll move on to the second one here. Would you rather be forced to watch the first season of young Sheldon on CBS? <laughs> like in, like in a clockwork orange where they have your, your eyes peeled open and they're dropping, you know, the, the eyedroppers into your eyes every mm-hmm. few seconds just to keep you watching. Right. Uh, so that, or the same way you're watching this the same way. Uh, the 2017 Broncos, uh, their last six games. Which one? <laughs> you know what? I'm not a fan of Sheldon. So as bad as this Broncos team has been, I still take great joy in not only watching football, but analyzing it, you know, talking about it, breaking it down, finding ways to make sense of it, even when things aren't going well. You know, I look forward, for example, as bad as this loss was in week 11. I mean, it sucked, but... You know what? After the game, this is this is my hands. I'm going. I'm stoked to sit down and podcast with Will, talk about it, find ways, solutions, see you know, see where this thing can go. So I'm an optimist in that sense. I'm a I'm a football's guy, guy, a football guy, guy. To to quote the guys from, uh, pardon my take. So sure. I yeah. think I think I'd have to pass on uh, Young Sheldon and still suffer through, yeah. 
you know, the vagaries of this this 2017 Broncos season? Yeah, I'm that's again, you've got the correct answer. So, uh I'm a pretty outspoken opponent to a young Sheldon. I, I consider myself a conscientious objector from young Sheldon. Um, I think if you rephrase this question to me, like, would you rather take your chances as a passenger on the Titanic or just watch the first season of young Sheldon? <laughs> I'll take like, the Titanic. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Give me a ticket. Put me in third class. <laughs> yeah. I can't blame you. That, that show, that character never did much for me personally. It's rough. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. Well, yeah. And this just goes to show that there's worse things than the 2017 Broncos. That's right. Chin um, up. But all right. So the third and final, would you rather, would you rather age at twice the rate of a normal human being hmm. or have Mike McCoy and Brock Olivo coordinate every birthday party you have for the rest of your life? <laughs> you know what? It's a tough one. That is a tough one. Of, of the three would-you-rathers, <laughs> this, uh, this one has me a little bit closer to being stumped. You know what? I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to take my chances aging twice as fast uh, because I, I just couldn't trust those guys from a scheme perspective to, yeah. plan, to plan it correctly. You know, I, I think i got to roll the dice and just try and get all my living in. Uh, you know, take it like the bucket list approach where every day is like you're living it like your last. And who knows what kind of life I could have if I'm if I'm living that way and I'm just like, you know what, my exactly. life's going to be over in half the time, but I'm going to fit in, you know, twice as much stuff. So, yeah, I, I, I'd rather do that than risk such a such a party getting ruined by two guys that have really failed to, to scheme up to snuff. Yeah, so, again, you're, you're three for three. That's the correct answer. Um, just the way that modern medicine is progressing right now, who knows what, you know, half of a life could be right now. You could end That's up right. being 115. Who knows? And if you have Mike McCoy and Brock Olivo coordinating every birthday party <laughs> once a year, you know, there could be a terrible accident this year. Like your next birthday, it could be a terrible accident and you're dead. That's right. Like there's some like uh, pinata mishap or pulling um, the, the cake out of the oven and it drops yeah. on your foot or falls on yeah. some kid's head. Right, yeah, or just like, you know, the cake is poisoned or something, or, mm. you know, you, you die of salmonella or something, so um, there's a lot There's a lot that could go wrong there, um, and then, you know, you could you could still live a long life, uh, given the way that um, we, we approach aging now in the, in the 21st century, so I think you nailed it three for three, Boom. Um, so good job, and uh, hopefully we can bring this back, this segment back uh, with, a, with a more... <laughs> positive outlook yeah. on things later on next time i'll have some would you rathers for you well and we'll uh, we'll keep the, keep this ball rolling and, and uh, keep spirits light around here let's get off the ledge and and uh, yeah. beyond the doom and gloom let's shine a light around here but uh we still have some stuff to get to but you know what there's some some really important uh a really important event taking place in denver this week that we want to bring your attention to now first we got to take a quick step back and help you understand that the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, that's HUD, estimates that 39,471 veterans are homeless on any given night. In addition, 22 veterans commit suicide in this country each day. That's one every 65 minutes. This isn't their problem. It's our problem. Our veterans need your help. They need all of our help. It's Thanksgiving week, and we all would do well I think, to show our gratitude to this nation's armed forces uh, veterans. And fortunately, there's something we can do to help the veterans in our own community. The fifth annual Homeless Hand Up, sponsored by Veterans in Trouble, VIT, will be held Saturday, November 25th at 12 p.m. at uh, Denver's Civic Center Park. They will be staging directly across the street on the east side from the Denver City and County Building on Bannock Street. The VIT are looking for donations and volunteers. If you can donate, items should include uh, stuff like coats, hats, gloves, blankets, sleeping bags, shoes, etc. If you don't have items to donate but you still want to help, just show up. They need volunteers to help set up and lend a hand. And in addition, they need volunteers to bring tables and canopies and tarps so that they can keep the donated items out of the elements and off the grass. Now, this event is being put together by local Desert Storm veteran Jay Elliott. The Elliott family will be baking an extra turkey this year and will be making turkey sandwiches to pass out as well. If you have food you'd like to bring, 
please do. The VIT are also accepting monetary donations to help with purchasing items for care packages like socks, gift cards, toiletries, hygiene items, and stuff like that. You can visit their website at veteransintrouble.com, click on any donate button, or find them directly at PayPal with the email address veteransintrouble at gmail.com. So go to veteransintrouble.com, see what you can do to help out this Thanksgiving week. Say thank you, give back, and help the veterans who have sacrificed for all of us. All right, now it's that time of week where we take a peek inside the Mile High Mailbag. We are your Broncos priests. We're here to offer answers and absolution to your burning Broncos questions. And the first one comes from Mr. Jacob Smith at JS Mile High 9798. His question, going forward, who do we need to get a good observation on outside of Paxton Lynch to really see what this roster needs going forward? Your question uh, or your answer, Will, for Jacob. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I can point to a couple of guys. And the first one, I think, uh, is a guy who actually made a pretty good impact today. And that's the, the newly promoted tight end, Austin Trailer, who had um, four catches for 36 yards. So given that this is his first action, um, I was pretty impressed by him, uh, especially because I kind of just look, just from looking at him, he kind of looked like mostly a, a blocking tight end. And to come out and make that kind of impact – as a receiver in your first game, that was, that was pretty impressive. So hopefully you get some more reps yeah. in the last six games. And the other guy I mentioned earlier is um, someone who hasn't seen the field either, um, but showed a lot of promise in training camp and in the preseason. That's D'Angelo Henderson. So yeah. I don't, the problem is I don't know who you deactivate to get Henderson on the field. And maybe it's, you know, uh, a rotating cast of characters. I think that, you got to just cut Jamal Charles. I think you just I, I, yeah you save yourself the escalators and incentive risks and you just part ways with them and you know at this point the Broncos need to get a beat on all of their young talent I think I mean that includes uh, all the rookie class as best you can and the guys from last year which include Paxton Lynch Jacob as in your question I mean any of the young talent right now they need to get them out on the field make sure they understand or have a solid bead on what they have so that going into free agency 2018 in the draft, they're in a better position to fill some holes. Yeah. Um, it would have been nice to see uh, if Jake Butt could have met, made uh, any type of an impact in the last six games as well. But I think he was frustrated by the Broncos putting him on season-ending IR, and I kind of was too, just because I wanted to – I don't know. Maybe I'm just a little impatient, but – uh, I want to see what he can do just because I was a fan of him um, at Michigan. So that was a little disappointing. But, yeah, Henderson, too, like he's a late-round draft pick. He's not – and he's not hurt either. Like he's a guy that you'd expect to see on the field this rookie year, especially with the way he played in the preseason. So, yep. yeah, I think Charles is one of those guys that you you bring in kind of as like a um, as a luxury piece in your offense um, just kind of to help you out and, and make a run and – give you some some veteran presence there on offense but now that the season has unraveled in the fashion that it has and this isn't an, an indictment of jamal charles i think he's been uh, plenty serviceable this season um he, he just doesn't you know he doesn't really have a, a a great purpose on this team and so i think he'd probably be doing yourself and maybe even jamal charles a favor if he can catch on with someone else by by letting him go yeah, and I think he's shown that he still has something left in the tank. If anything, I, I really do think that this coaching staff has misused him a little bit this year. They, he's, he hasn't seen the field enough, and I have to wonder if some of that has to do with some kind of an edict coming down from on high from the front office of, you know what, let's, let's use him piecemeal. He's a compliment. He's a piece, unless we have no choice because they don't want to have to pay out the escalators that are in his contract if they can avoid it. You know, another young guy that I think the Broncos need to try and get a little bit more involved in what's going on, and I understand that his performance and his wherewithal hasn't really quite dictated this, but that second-round pick, Demarcus Walker. Now, he's been inactive for, I think this was the third consecutive game, and of course, yeah. this was a guy drafted out of Florida State in the second round who, you know, listening to our draft experts like uh, Nick, Carl, and Eric, this was a guy, you know, projected to his best fit at the NFL level was to be a three-tech, you know, defensive tackle that can rush the passer and, and you know, penetrate. Well, when the Broncos suffered all the, the injuries to their outside linebacker core, they had to try and make, you know, lemonade out of lemons. And so they moved him over to the to that group to the edge group 
and it just didn't work. And our guys at Mile High Huddle said it at the time, this isn't going to work, and sure enough, that's how it shook out. Now, that's not why he hasn't been active the last three weeks. The last three weeks, he's been sitting in, in street clothes on the sideline because he hasn't been a willing or able special teams contributor. So they need those guys on the bottom, you know, that bottom uh, third, let's say, of the roster on, a, on an active roster game day. They have to be contributing on special teams. And up to this point, Walker has, sh- has been absolutely disinterested in doing that. But getting back to what he can do on the field and part of what you can evaluate with a young guy like Walker is stop playing him at outside linebacker. Joe Woods talked about this earlier this week that he needs to put on more weight so that they can put him back on the D-line. Well, in the meantime, beef him up and start rotating him in. First of all, dress him on game day. Uh, second of all, rotate him in on obvious passing downs and let him rush the passer from the inside and see what happens, see what see if he can make some hay. Uh, because going into next season, he's a second-round pick. You're not going to be moving on from him, and you need to have a little bit better bead on what he can accomplish for you. But uh, one more question we have. Uh, let's see, this one comes from Mile High Maniac on Twitter. We've touched a little bit on it, but he, the question, Will, is why the three-headed rushing attack? No bell cow and Jamal Charles hardly touching the ball. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily have a problem with this just because um, in the modern NFL, I think you want to limit your running back's touches. Um, you're not, you know, this isn't the age of uh, Emmett Smith and Barry Sanders and even Terrell Davis. Uh, you kind of like to succeed on offense. You got to you got to have a stable of guys that kind of do different things. And CJ is obviously um, the closest thing to a bell cow you have. And then Booker's kind of your your guy who uh, is going to catch passes out of the backfield and do a good job of that and then hopefully uh, pick up some yards on the ground too, which he did a good job of today. I think he had 98 yards uh, from scrimmage today on like 19 touches, most of them uh, rushing, but he got I think half of those yards um, mm-hmm. as a receiver out of the backfield. So he's been a good dual threat. And then there's there's usually going to be, um, just with a game plan, an odd man out, and that was Jamal Charles today. Um, so yeah, it's a little frustrating how they're using him. But look at like a team like the Patriots doesn't have any one clear cut running back. They kind of just cycle them out uh, according to the uh, the game plan on any given week. Like they have uh, three guys like Gillisley, who's their par- who's their power back, Rex Burkhead, who's their uh, small white running back. Who they <laughs> that they always have since going back to the days of uh, Danny Woodhead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Dion Lewis, who's kind of their returner, receiver, uh, occasional ball carrier. So they have guys who kind of do it all. Well, the problem um, is the Broncos yeah. don't have any defined roles like they do. Like you have yeah. a three-headed rushing attack, but can you really define the roles of any one of those guys? Like, you know, it's the problem is, I think, and this goes back to getting D'Angelo Henderson on the field, is even Jamal Charles at this point in his career, while – I do feel like he's proven that he's, he has something left in the tank. I mean, he and Booker and Anderson are pretty much the same guy. I mean, they all do a pretty solid job catching the ball out of the backfield, although I would give Booker the absolute edge in that department. They're all kind of so-so on pass protection, which I would give Charles the edge in that regard because of his veteran know-how. And, you know, they all can pound the ball between the tackles. So it's like the problem is, you know, the Patriots, yeah, they're using a, a, a committee – but as you say, they all kind of have a defined role depending on the situation in a football game. The Broncos don't really have that. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's tough, too. When Obviously, the, the Patriots are such a malleable offense when you have a great quarterback and the Broncos aren't that. So you kind of have to game plan uh, to the strengths of your quarterback when he can't. You know, you can't do everything. And obviously, Trevor Simeon, Brock Osweiler, and Paxton Lynch are none of those guys. But, you know, um, I expect to see Paxton Lynch next week. So maybe – uh, we get a little more of a defined sense of who those guys are. You know, maybe they work in a little read option, and in that way, maybe we can see, uh, you know, how guys fit in a little bit better. Yeah, I think we. It's pretty safe to say that Paxton Lynch. You know, he moved up the depth chart this week during practice uh, to be the backup quarterback for the Bengals game. And uh, I think moving forward, you're going to see Paxton Lynch as the starting quarterback for the Denver Broncos to finish out the 2017 season, of course, health willing. And uh, it's good for him. It's going to be great for him to get a chance to say, you know what, look, kid, you know, Brock Osweiler hasn't been told anything other than you're the quarterback for this week. Trevor Simeon was given, you know what, you're the man for the season. He, he, you know, he gave up the ghost, so to speak. He lost his opportunity. Brock Osweiler, no promises have been made. But for Paxton Lynch, 
he's not going to really have to deal so much with getting supplanted or the fear of looking over his shoulder. He's going to have, and Will talked about this earlier in the show, Paxton Lynch is going to get six games to truly just be himself. This is my team. You know, we're not going anywhere, obviously, this year, but I can at least show this front office and this coaching staff, who frankly haven't had a whole lot of good to say about me up to this point, uh, I can show them what I've got. I'm a first-round pick, damn it, and I'm going to show the, this this team and the league what I got because even if he doesn't do, you know, if he doesn't set the world on fire but manages to, you know, showcase his skill set, make some plays, you know, keep the Broncos' offense moving in that sense, even if the Broncos, as we've talked about in previous episodes, go out this, whether it's in free agency or the draft, intent on making a huge splash at the quarterback position, at least then Paxton Lynch has some trade value. There's there's more value built into Paxton Lynch, and he's got to know that from a self-preservation standpoint. He's got to put some solid tape on film for the rest of the league, too, to see because he's still young. I mean, he's only played in two-and-a-half NFL games, two starts, and he played another half against Tampa Bay. So it'll be really fun, I think. We can all rally around this kid and at least take joy in seeing what he's got because he might not – there might be questions, Will, about what he's got between the ears, but he's yeah. got there's a he has some phenomenal physical tools, and if he can find a way to put it all together, it could be really fun to watch. Yeah, I agree. And obviously, six games uh, isn't a massive sample size, but if you if you see something positive, I think that's really all you need to know. I think going into next season, and I think the Broncos will probably try to they'll at least do their due diligence on the quarterback market, and then in the draft. This uh, this offseason, regardless of how he plays. Um, but yeah, it'll give the team, I think, a little more certainty as to their future. Well, we're about out of time, but before we get out of here, we would be remiss if we didn't tell you about our sponsor, Audible. You guys, go get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash huddle up. There's over 180,000 different titles to choose from, whether you've got an iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. It's a great way to get the books in that you want to read without necessarily having the time to sit down and turn the pages. It's, a, it's an app that I use on a daily basis, so take advantage of this opportunity to get your free book in a 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash huddle up. But that's all the time we have for today. You can find Will in the Twitterverse, at WillKey6, myself, at Chad and Jensen. Keep tweeting us your questions, and we'll try to address them on the show as often as we can. We try to do it uh, each and every week right now. Look for Nick and Carl's preview of the Raiders game by Thursday morning. And also Nick and Carl are gearing up for the draft already with Eric Trickle contributing. So make sure you're subscribing. For Will, I'm Chad. We'll talk to you soon. Good for you, bud. Mile high huddle.